Welcome to the Lift Church podcast. We pray that this message encourages you and inspires you to live up to your God-given potential. And uh, we are in part two of a series that we are calling Imago Day. And Imago Day basically is Latin for image of God. And this is a really core concept for us as Christians. It's called that we have been created in the very image of God. And our whole identity, our whole purpose in life comes from the fact that we have been created in the image of God. It is not found in simply what are your passions and desires because some people have really crap passions and desires. We know that because there are lots of people in jail. They do things to hurt other people. Our passions and our desires, the things that, that, that drive us sometimes, that is no way of knowing who we're meant to be. The only way we can truly know who we're meant to be is through understanding how God has designed us and created us. And that's what this series is all about. We've got another five weeks after this because this is a really important topic and I'm so excited. I've been really uh, loving putting this series together and in particular this message. Honestly, I have never spent more time studying for a message in my whole life. And so if this comes across a little intellectual is because I'm probably still processing some of the stuff that I have been researching and bringing this to you. And I'm going to be talking this morning about a very important topic. It concerns directly half of the world's population. And then um, it indirectly but still somewhat directly affects the other half of the population. Which means that this is a message for every single person. And we are going to be talking about the place of women. The place of women as in God's design for women. And the reason why we need to talk about this is because it is a very important topic. And I do believe that from what I have studied and read, and even for myself, what I have understood over time, uh, I, I needed to bring correction because I did not understand it as fully as I should have. And especially when I speak to um uh, to, to, to some people about this topic, um, and, and some people seem to have this argument, if you will, about where women should be based on culture. And we argue that no, no, women should be allowed into leadership and all of those kinds of issues because culture has moved on. And that's the argument that people give. And I put forward that that is a stinking attitude. Oh, sorry, not attitude, but uh, uh, an argument. Why? Because what if culture changes again? Does this mean that, you know, not even like a hundred, less than a hundred years ago that slavery was, as Andre was saying, flavor of the month? Does that mean that slavery was good or in God's design? What if culture changes tomorrow and says that cows are the most sacred of all humanity? Strange way of putting it, but what if our culture changes? What if it switches. What if tomorrow it says that vegans are the best human beings on the face of the planet and should be given all leadership positions? Does that make veganism the best? What I'm saying is that culture changes all the time. We cannot base principles for living on changeable foundations. We need to base our thinking, our principles, our guiding points in our life on things that do not change. And it must come back to the Word of God. 
And so what I'm going to be sharing with you must necessarily come from the Word of God. This is from my studies. As I've told you, I've done a ton of studies into this. If you want to have a full-on debate about this, um, I don't have time for you. But we will, I'll teach as best as I can. You go do the research yourself. You formulate what you believe as best as possible through good, solid research, what the Bible says. But before I do get into what I believe about this, I do want to quickly share how to read the Bible. Because what happens when I'm formulating this and when I'm reading arguments that people have put out, and not just on this topic, but any topic about any principle that guides our lives, people need to ground it in the Word of God. So how do we ground anything in the Word of God? By truly understanding the Word of God. How do we truly understand the Word of God? It is through understanding its context. Write this context. When I went to Bible college a long time ago, 15 years ago, um, this, this phrase was used again and again. A text used outside of context is simply a con. Yeah, kind of clever, isn't it? I didn't come up with that. It's a daggy dad principle. One day I'll get there and everyone will be like, oh, that was so clever, Nate, because I have a beard. I'll look wise and old. Um, but a text used outside of his context is a con. And so what is a context that we need to look at? We need to look at, first and foremost, the words. And one of the things that we need to understand is that the English Bible is a translation. is a translation from the original Greek and the original Hebrew. And so what translators have done, and this is difficult work, but what they've done is that they have taken their studies on those ancient languages and tried to come up with as close as possible a meaning from our language today. But how many know that language shifts? Yep. Just a few years ago, when you said the word lit, it meant to literally light something up. Today, it means to light something else up if you know what I mean. It means to be high. And so, yes. So do not say that you are lit unless you want people to have strange, young people to have strange looks at you. Uh, you know, when I was growing up, one of the cool words was to say that something was fat, PH fat. Now you say, I'm fat, and people are like, yes, you are. And I'm like, oh, no, that was not very nice. Language shifts and changes, and so what we need to do is to be careful with what our current cultural understanding of a word is and whether it fits with what the original word was intended to be. So that is the first thing we need to look into the words. And then we need to look into the words surrounding the words that you want to study. What does that mean? Is that if you like a phrase in the Bible, make sure you read the whole sentence and then read the whole paragraph. And here's an idea, read the whole chapter and then maybe read the whole book and then read the whole book if you know what I mean. That is a context. So when Christians go around quoting one little tiny bit of scripture and say this is the truth, but it's taken out of its context, it can mean something completely different. Most of you might have encountered someone saying to you as a Christian, if you're a Christian, that Christians are not meant to judge. What does that flippin' mean when Jesus said, do not judge? Did he mean that when you are crossing a road, don't judge whether it's safe or not? No, I walk by faith, not by... What kind of... No, 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 what does judge mean? What was Jesus trying to explain by the word judge? Am I supposed to... Hello. Thanks, Mark. This, is, this mic has lowered my voice. 
<laughs> no, it hasn't. Um, sorry, having too much fun. Um, what am I saying? Context. Uh, I'm saying, what, what does Jesus mean when he says, do not judge? It means do not impose on someone else a judgment on who they are, on the condition of their heart, on whether they are precious and valuable or not. That is what it means by do not judge. Am I supposed to be able to judge whether your actions are morally good or bad? Yes. The Bible says that time and time again. Jesus says that time and time again. That is an example of making sure that you understand a text in its context. And so there is the words that are being used. There's the words surrounding the words. And, and this is really important. You need to read the whole Bible. At some point, it will take a long time. I understand that. I started in March, a Bible in one year, um, reading from Uvision, the Uvision app, and I am 23 days behind. <laughs> because life gets busy, and it gets a little bit hectic, but I'm plodding along, and every day I'm reminded of how far behind I am, but I still know that at some point, I would have read through the whole Bible again. We need to read the whole, why do we need to read the whole Bible? Because if there is a text in the Bible that says something that is in contradiction to the rest of the Bible, that means that there is a, an interpretation that we do not understand. And what that interpretation might be is that there are cultural issues that are taking place. Most of the letters of the New Testament, so uh, the letters are, uh, are the books that start from Romans all the way to the end. They're old letters. They were written to specific contexts, to people, to regions, to, uh, and, and there were issues that the authors were dealing with. And so sometimes what they're writing was very specific into what was taking place. For us to understand the intention of that book, for us to understand the intention of those words, we need to understand and do a little bit of digging. And sometimes that's why it's great to come to a church where you've got an Asian pastor who loves to study. Because I will do the hard work for you so that you will get a better understanding. So rock up to church next week because you have another kind of Asian pastor, my beautiful wife, Pastor Beck, who will be bringing an amazing word and she's going to do a whole, she's already done a whole bunch of work to bring an amazing word for you because sometimes reading the Bible is not just as straightforward as some people make it out to be. And we need to put in the effort and the time to develop our understanding of the whole Bible because then we will understand how we've been created in the image of God. So that's my introduction. You guys ready for the real message? It's real message time. So why I'm bringing all of this up is because when it comes to the place of women in God's design, there are two main camps that are found in Christianity. Yes, unfortunately, Christianity does not always agree on everything. We still do try to live together in harmony and we do try to um, help each other out as much as possible. But sometimes there's a, different of a difference in opinion. And the difference of opinion in Christianity when it comes to the place of women is that there are a whole bunch of people that hold on to what is known as a complementarian view. So it's complementarian. So they hold on to a complementarian view. The other camp is the egalitarian view. Just to be completely transparent, I used to be a complementarian. And then I just discovered that that word is way too hard to say. And so, no. <laughs> so I had to switch my view because of the study that I did. 
And I'm going to give you a really quick overview of the complementarian view, and then I'm going to give you why I believe the egalitarian view is one that the Bible teaches, according to what I have studied. The complementarian view basically states that men and women are equal but different. We are equal in every way, shape, and form, but we have a difference inside of us that means that men are supposed to be leaders and women are supposed to be subservient to men. And this goes in especially the circles of family and in church. That is the complementarian view. And the reason why the complementarian view is there, some people are like, whoa, that's a bit harsh to say that women cannot be leaders. But the reason why the complementarian view is there is because there are six passages in the New Testament that specifically say women are supposed to submit to men. There are six passages. Let that sink in. There's actually six passages that say that women are supposed to be subservient to men. And when you take these passages in and of themselves, it's very clear. The Apostle Paul actually says, I do not permit women to teach men. And so there are a whole bunch of churches that will not allow a woman to preach. As you can tell at Lyft, we don't hold on to that because Beck will be preaching next week. As you can tell, we had two amazing female song leaders leading us into the presence of God. But there is a viewpoint that can be said to be grounded on the Word of God that says that women are not supposed to lead. And so um, that's, one, that's one view when we look at those six passages. And, and what we're going to do is today I do not have time this morning to go through these six passages. It, it took me a ton of work to understand those six passages. And so what we're doing is that at 2 o'clock this afternoon, so after our experience, go get yourself some lunch, head over to the hub, um, the address is over there, and I'm going to be doing a special one and a half hour seminar lecture. Semi lecture. Semi lecture. And uh, we're going to be discussing specifically those six passages. I will be giving you the context as far as I have discovered and as far as I have researched. And I hope that it will make a lot of sense to you. And we're going to talk a little bit about the implications as well. Because that's very important. I'm really excited about it because I actually get to talk about all that I've studied. And that's going to be fun. Um, but that is the complementarian view. Hold that in mind. Because that is why we need to talk about this. And so at Lyft, we hold on to an egalitarian view. And just so that you know as well, we are part of a movement known as the Australian Christian Churches. And the Australian Christian Church, ACC, has developed a positional statement, which I downloaded specifically to ensure that our church is still in alignment with our movement. And the doctrinal statement of the ACC is one of egalitarianism. All right? So that's just a bit of foundation. But I want to let you know about three key points this morning about how we can understand the Word of God when it comes to women. All right? You ready? Buckled up? Ready to go? All right. Point one, if you're taking notes, men and women are equally image bearers of God. Remember, we are in a series called... Ah... Yeah, no, no, no. No, no, no. Imago Dei, we are created in the image of God. In Genesis 1, 26 to 27, it reads like this. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. 
So God created mankind, humankind, in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. That's really crazy important. The author of Genesis was most likely Moses. He lived a heck of a long time ago. He's even older than my dad, <laughs> who isn't that old at all. Right? He's old. Just need to get you guys laughing a little bit. Thanks, Dad. And um, Moses wrote in a time and an age when patriarchy was the cultural norm. It was a time when men were superior to women. And for him to write in the very words of what is now our Bible, for him to have written in the image of God, he created them, and then to specify, in case you don't get what them is, it's not men and men. It is male and female. Did it say in that passage, God created men to be first, and then he went, I have some leftover materials, what do I do? Oh, woman. No, it doesn't say that. He said that God specifically created men and women. In his image, he created men and women. Is this sinking in? This is in the first chapter of our Bible. If you are doing one of those Bible in a year thing, this is the first thing you're going to be reading on day one. That God created you. It doesn't matter whether you're men, whether you're a woman. You have been created in the image of God. And so we both, as men and women, all have this image of God that we are designed with. We are meant to reflect God. That is what it means to be created in the image of God. We are an image. We are a, ref we are a reflection. I don't know what happened there. It's like the Holy Spirit is just coming out. We are meant to be a reflection of who God is. But what happens two chapters later is described as the fall. The fall of mankind. What happens is that Adam and Eve, they were tempted by a serpent. They do what God told them not to do. Therefore, sin enters the world. Now, this is a theological concept. Because of the fall, sin enters the world and we are now broken image bearers. The troubles that we see in the world today is down to the fact that most of it, not all, but most of it, I would say all of it, is down to the fact that there are centuries upon centuries upon millennia of people living out broken image bearing of God. And because of this corruption of God's design, there is this suffering and there is this brokenness that we are living in today. That is a theological concept that talks about what is happening in our world comes back down to the fact that we were created great. We were created to, to steward the world. We were created to live in this amazing community. We were created for life. And what we did is that we allowed sin to enter in and we inherited this sin again and again, generation after generation, self-seeking behavior after self-seeking, destructive behavior, and that's where we end up. And what happens is that when sin entered the world in Genesis chapter Chapter 3, God actually speaks to all of the parties involved, the serpent and then the woman and then the man, and he gives a consequence for their actions, right? So this is the context of Genesis 
3 verse 16. To the woman, God said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. In God's original design, at no point did he say, woman, you are made to be lesser than a man. At no point in Genesis chapters 1 and 2 during the creation did he ever say to the woman, your role on this earth is to serve your man, and that's it. That was never mentioned. The moment it was mentioned was after the fall. In terms of broken image bearing, this is the consequence. So we can probably see that God's intention wasn't for childbirth to be that painful. I don't know what his original intention was like, but it wasn't meant to be like that. And all the women say, amen. (laughs) That God didn't design you to go through the pain of what I've heard. It's like a cigarette butt being pushed through your arm. That is the amount of pain a woman goes through. All the single ladies are like, oh, (laughs) my Lord. The consequence of that is sin. The pain that goes through that is sin. For man, what God says is that you will be working the ground to make provision for your family, but it will not yield what you need. You have to work extra hard. You know, that kind of labor that we put into providing is not in God's original plan or how it was meant to be. So what am I trying to say? Men and women are created equal image bearers of God. Sin breaks that image. Because of that, patriarchy comes in. At no point in God's original design was there patriarchy until after the fall. That is something we have to realize. So did God leave it at that? No, because God is one who wants to restore. And so the second point that I want to make this morning is that God has already put in place a plan to restore the equality of men and women. In Galatians 3, 26 to 29, it says this, So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Now, this is an important passage in particular because it says neither Jew nor Gentile. Now, what was that all about? You see, what happened was that the Jewish people, the Israelites, believed that the promises of God was only for them. God had chosen them as His chosen people. They were the promised ones, and they were given the promises of God. And so after Jesus came, He died, rose again, and then uh, poured out the Holy Spirit, what happened was that the early church started, but the early church was only Jewish. The early church was all only Jewish people because they believed that that was what it was meant to be. Now, what happened was that Peter, who was the leader of the church in that time, he was praying to God, always a good thing to do. And as he was praying, he received a vision from God. And in this vision, a blanket came down with all sorts of unclean animals. See, the Jewish law had a whole bunch of animals that you were not supposed to eat. I don't know what they were meant to be. I saw some old uh, children's books and there were giraffes in there and zebras and weird stuff. And I was like, I don't want to eat them anyway. But apparently this blanket came down in Peter's vision and God says to Peter, get up, kill and eat. 
Peter responds, I'm a good Jewish boy. I ain't going to do that. And then God says, do not call unclean what the Lord has made clean. This happens three times, which means that Peter, get this. What you call unclean is not necessarily what I'm calling unclean. And so Peter receives that vision. He's thinking about what happens. And then the next minute, someone comes to the door and says, a Roman centurion wants you to come speak to them because God told them to get you. And so Peter was like, they're Gentiles. They are not us. They're not supposed to have this promise. He struggled with that, but he ends up going and he goes there. He says, I didn't want to do this, but apparently God has got a plan that I didn't quite understand. And that means that salvation is meant to go for all the Gentiles as well. He spoke and then the Holy Spirit falls. All of them start speaking in tongues. And he, Peter flips out. He's like, oh, oh, right. I've got it wrong. God's actually doing something much greater. See, that was the dichotomy. That was the dualism that was held in the Jewish mindset that the promise of God was meant only for the Jews and not for the Gentiles, but God broke that. Along with that, he says, neither slave nor free. And on top of that, he also says, neither male nor female. So in the similar way, where women were not allowed to lead, where women were not allowed to have a place of, of, of prominence in society, a place where they are able to receive the promises of God, God is saying, no, do not call unclean what I call clean. God's original design is coming into play because of the gospel. When we get baptized in Christ, we are being restored to the original design, which is that we are all equally image bearers of God. Making sense so far? And on top of that, there's more good news. Uh, on top of that, uh, God's plan wasn't just to have men and women participate in the promise of eternal life. This is what it says in Joel chapter 2, 28 to 29. This is God speaking through the prophet Joel. And it says, And afterward I will pour out my spirit on all people, your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. Again, that is a bit crazy because this was written in a patriarchal society and God was trying to emphasize that men and women are both equal partakers in the promises of God, including the pouring out of the spirit. We see that fulfilled in Acts chapter 2. On the day of Pentecost, Peter speaks after the Holy Spirit comes down and he says this passage is being fulfilled in your midst, that the Spirit has been poured out on both men and women. Now there's even more good news. Come on women, you should be helping me out this morning. In 1 Corinthians 12 verses 1 to 7, the baptism in the Holy Spirit allows the Spirit to be in you and the Spirit enables you, empowers you to live according to God's plan. That's what the, the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is about, is an empowerment. And Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 12, about what the Spirit does. And says this, now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters. Here we go. Is this just for the brothers? Yeah, come on, ladies. You got to help me out. Do you want this or do you not? Now about the gifts of the Spirit, men and... Okay, you're getting there. I do not want you to be uninformed. Paul's like, hey, get this. There are gifts that God gives you, 
Don't be uninformed. Chase after this. Chase after what God has given to you. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Now, Paul goes on to talk about uh, what these giftings are, prophecy, and all these amazing things. And at the end, he talks about certain offices. He talks about the office of the apostle, the, the, the office of the, the pastor, the prophet, the evangelist, and the teacher. There we go. Big's more holy than me. Um, and talks about all of this. And at no point in 1 Corinthians 12, does Paul say, now for the men, here are the offices for you. The chapter starts with him saying, brothers and sisters, and ends up talking about the offices. Did he at any point say, oh, oh sorry, girls, put your finger in your ear and say, la, 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 this is just for the guys. No, you read the chapter for yourself. It says, I have poured out my spirit. These are the giftings that is for you. And all of you are given a different kind of gifting so that you can perform your calling for the common good. At no point did it say, men, therefore you lead, and women, therefore you serve the men. At no point did it say that. It is clear that the Bible says again and again that all of the giftings are available for both men and women. It is given out to both. And because of that, we can see that God intends for leadership to be both for men and women. In fact, as I have been studying leadership over the last few years, I'm talking about academically studying leadership. Um, one of the things that has been really interesting is the, is the way that leadership has shifted over time. Previously, effective leadership was alpha male leadership. Anyone know what I mean? The guy that is strong and unemotional. He's decisive and he's the man. That was a good leader. I'm a good leader. I'm so not an alpha male, am I? No, you're supposed to say yes. And um, that was the kind of leadership that was seen to be, I made a baby cry. <laughs> Alpha male. Um, where was I? That was the kind of leadership that was seen as effective. Effective leadership was strong, decisive, unemotional. You know what? Studies have shown that that is probably one of the least effective forms of leadership today. It is effective when there are bullets flying over your head and bombs falling right next to where you are. Then you need a strong, unemotional voice to tell you, run or fight, where to go. We have no need for discussions right now. Let's do this. That kind of leadership works in that kind of situation. But in most other situations in our wonderful, peaceful nation of Australia, the most effective forms of leadership includes emotional intelligence and empathy. It includes an understanding, and, and these traits are what are seen as traditionally feminine traits. The best form of leadership isn't completely masculine. It is actually masculine and feminine. This is a really important thing, because what the complementarian view says is that women are different, they're equal but different, and therefore they are not able to be leaders. What makes a woman so different from a guy? Really, seriously, think about it. What is it that is so different besides their body parts? Does your body part mean that you cannot lead? 
No, we must be talking about a leadership trait. But the research is showing that both masculine and feminine traits combined together makes a good leader. It doesn't say only male traits or only female traits. Let's dive a little bit more into this whole trait thing. I was reading an article and recently in the media there has been a lot of talk about toxic masculinity, right? Anyone have been hearing about that? And I read an article about toxic masculinity and femininity and it talked about how toxic things, toxic traits in that way, I don't want to say masculinity and femininity again again. I'm just going to use the word traits, okay? Just because it's a little tongue twister. Um, so toxic traits are not because they are bad in and of themselves, they are bad when they are shallow in a person. And what this author talked about with shallow traits is that a shallow trait is where a person has not done an exploration of these traits. They simply just live out whatever feels good to them. That becomes toxic. But a person that grows into maturity and develops deep traits inside of them is a person that over a season of time in their life, they explore the opposite traits that are not as natural to them. So as a male, what I do to develop deep masculinity is that I spend a season exploring feminine traits. And then what I do is that I take the best of those traits. I step back fully into my masculinity with those traits to balance me out, to make me a better person. That's what the research is showing. And I tell you that having gone through that over the last few years, it is one of the most unnatural, but also one of the most liberating things in my life. That as a man, I don't need to be unemotional and detached. I don't need to be always confident that I know, that I know, that I know what I'm deciding. Because I think that a lot of leaders still believe that they cannot show any sign of weakness, any sign of indecision, any sign of emotion, if that could be. No, no, no. Good leadership includes both together. And as I've explored this, it's opened me up. It's made me a better husband. It's made me a better uh, a dad. It's made me a better pastor. It's made me a better person because I don't think that I need to just be one-dimensional and therefore useless. Deep masculinity and deep femininity includes traits from both. There is a dominant natural anchor point for you as a human being, but it doesn't mean that you have to shun the other side. In fact, it's about, it's about exploring and bringing both together. We need to have that in our culture. Women, you can learn how to be decisive. You can learn how to lead large groups and not be worried about how people think about you. You need to develop that thickness of skin that tends to be natural to guys. This is one of the journeys that Beck and I have been on. I'm just like, I don't compare myself to anyone. I'm like, I'm the bomb, man. I just do what Nate does and let's see what happens. Becky's like, oh, but what if, that, what if that's failure? Oh, no. And she has had to learn how to do that. But then on the other side, Beck has this radar. So you guys better be careful. Beck has this radar of understanding people. And when, when we talk about, you know, church life, people come, people go, we don't make you sign a contract to stay with us for any length of time. We don't get to do that. I want to. But I don't get to. It makes my life a lot easier. Give us your bank account while you're doing that. 
But because it's right of knowing when people are truly bonded to what Lyft is doing and when they're not. And I'll come back home after a conversation and I'll be like, oh, you know, so-and-so is going to be leaving Lyft, da 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 Beg's like, yeah, yeah, knew it two months ago. And I'm like, what? Why? Why do you know that? It's because there's a natural empathy that Beck has got. I work hard to get to the place that I'm at, but Beck's like, can't you just look at the person and know that, you know, you just feel that they're not, you know? And I'm like, yeah, nah. That's what makes Beck a great leader. A different leader, but a great leader. And so what we can see is that God's original intention, God's original design is for men and women to be equal image bearers of Him. Sin breaks that image, and then God is restoring it. The final point I want to make this morning is God's design for leadership is different from the world's. God's leadership paradigm is different from anything in this world. And that was one of the points as I was exploring this topic that really struck me in between the eyes because I love leadership, I've been studying leadership, and I do understand that God's design for leadership is radically different from what the world says. You can read this in Matthew 20, 25 and 28. Jesus, Jesus spoke to his disciples. They had to, they had to fight him and, and say, Jesus, Jesus is the greatest, greatest followers. is me. me. My name is John. John's the best. I wonder why John's American, by the way. But they were having this fight, and Jesus calls them together and says, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be great amongst you, whoever wants to be the leader, whoever wants to be the head must be the servant. Whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. You can read this again and again in Jesus' teachings. It is always about putting other people first. Servant leadership is God's flavor for leadership. And so when we talk about male headship, you know what it could be translated better as? Male servanthood. When we talk about how women should be given leadership, what we're saying? Women servitude. Not Not in a lesser value kind of a way, but in a way that leadership is always meant to be lifting other people up. Leadership in God's design is never about what authority I have and what power I wield and and what I get to do. It's about how can I serve you? How can I make you better? How can I empower you? In this way, when we capture what true leadership is like, is it that hard to say, yes, we want women in this as well? As a guy, I'm like, yeah, if leadership is service, I want everyone to be in this with me. I don't want to be the only servant. It's a lot of work to serve all of you guys. You've got different needs and different desires. It makes it, oh. But when I've got a team of men and women serving together, that's why at Lyft we talk about servant leadership. That's why at Lyft it's not about who's the superstar on stage. It's about who's got a heart to serve and to lift other people up. And the Bible says this again and again. Put other people's interest in front of your own. Wash their feet. 
Find their needs and do something about it. Do you know how radically our families would change if both husband and wife truly wanted to serve each other? Do you know how radically parent-child relationships would change if both, not just one, but both got this sense, I'm going to serve. I'm going to understand this person. I'm not just talking about going up and cleaning up and, and doing, no, no, I'm not talking about just physically serving. I'm talking about seeing their best according to God's design, according to the image of God that He has designed into the person. Seeing that and saying, I see that and I'm going to do everything I can to pull that out. Over the last couple of years, that's been a new thing for me. It's not just training behaviors, but it's actually really serving a person. And the more I do this, the more joy I get out of this kind of service because you can't lose. You can't lose because it's not a game. It's about raising people and lifting them up. So when we talk about should women be leading, the question is, should women be serving? And for men, when you're already in a leadership position, how are you serving? That is the question that we should be asking. That's the conversations that we should be having. The more we exercise an arbitrary, top-down approach to leadership, the more we are looking like the world. But when we want to follow God, it always looks like serving through my words, through my deeds. So church, we need to grab a hold of this. If we are to live according to the design of God, we're all equals here. Honestly, my position as pastor is just simply because you pay me to do the research and to pull all of this together. But honestly, I'm serving you. That's the position that I've always wanted to hold. This isn't even my church. This is God's church. I'm just simply stewarding it to the best of my ability. But this morning as we finish, you know, I don't think I want to ban up for this this morning. Because I want every single person to think about this. When I was preparing for this morning, I sense a deep sorrow in God's heart that people were not willing to lead in your homes, in your families, in your schools, in your workplaces. There's been a reason for, for this disconnect, that we're not willing to lead and we blame it on our design. So I'm just not, it's not wired to do that. Or maybe in particular with today's message, I'm not, I'm female. I, I, I just don't, I just don't lead. I've had conversations with all sorts of people, both male and female, that are scared of leadership. But leadership to me is service. And that's maybe why it's scary because it's saying, I'm going to lower myself. I'm going to put in effort to get the best out of the people in my circle of influence. If you want a definition of leadership, that's it. How are you making people better? How are you helping people take a step in their journey as you serve them? And there have been words that have been spoken over you, over your life. Maybe at school, maybe at home. Maybe when you tried to lead in some situation and there was some kind of failure. 
Or maybe there was some kind of mindset or something that was put forward that you can't lead. This morning, God wants you to know that He's empowered you to lead. That His Spirit has been poured out on men and women. That that Spirit calls forth giftings that He has placed in your life. And the more that you reject leadership, the more you are rejecting God's design on your life. And that's why his heart is grieved, not because he is angry that you are not doing what you're meant to be doing, but more that he knows how you have been designed. He knows how you have been meant to, uh, to, to have this life and life abundantly, that you're meant to be doing so much more with your time and, and with, the, with the opportunities that you have. And when you don't take that, it's sad. Just like for me, if I am looking after someone, I'm not sad that that they're not doing what I'm telling them to do. I'm more sad that they're not reaching how I see what God has placed in their life. So this morning, everyone, just close your eyes for a moment. How does leadership sit with you? And women, can I just, can I just take this moment to apologize? You're not less than God didn't design you to be a servant, full stop, to be less valuable, to be less skilled. God's created you in His image. You have a high calling that God has placed in you. There might be a journey ahead of you to step into the fullness of that calling, but God is calling you there. And His grace is sufficient for you along that journey. So right now, if there's anything in you that is struggling to see yourself as a leader, maybe in your home, maybe in your workplace, maybe in your school, as your pastor, can I just say, Come on, rise up. Be strong and courageous because the Lord is with you. Be strong and very courageous because the Lord will continue to be with you. And for every person in this room, if you've kind of been shying away and stepping into the background, even in the face of opportunities, what's stopping you? What makes you feel less than? What's that mindset that's being a barrier for you? Dear Father, I thank you that you have fearfully and wonderfully created each and every one of us. That before we were even born into this world, you knitted us together. You saw the design that you were placing in each and every single one of us. And you faithfully watch over us day and night, every single day of our lives. So God, I pray that we take confidence in the fact that you have called us to something greater. For every person that is struggling with their call to lead in whatever situation, in whatever sphere they find themselves in, I pray that God, that you begin to unlock something in them. That you bring liberty to those places that have been bound up that you bring activation to those places that have been dormant. I pray, Holy Spirit, you begin to stir in people right now the calling that you have placed in their lives. So I thank you, Jesus, that every person in this room 
has been created in your image. Amen. Thank you for tuning in today. If you would like to find out more about Lyft, check out our website at theliftchurch.com.au.